0: Chino Chicano, we are a Peruvian restaurant, a part of the food group. So, a lot of Peruvian cuisine has obviously a lot of Spanish influence in terms of the food aspects, but also over the last few centuries, a lot of Chinese and Japanese immigration has happened over the last couple of centuries. So, in the Chinese side, it's the Chifa cuisine. That's what it's called. It's been incorporated into Peruvian cuisine. And also the Japanese side, it's the Nikkei cuisine. So, you know, it's all kind of melded together within Peruvian cuisine now. So, you know, we, we do our best to kind of, you know, highlight. Each of the influences through our menu as well. Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process
1: with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 96 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. My guest today is Chef Will Fang from China Chilcano in Washington, D.C. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the U.S. And every other week, I have conversations with American culinary leaders to talk about their path to success, their challenges, and how their background influences their creative process. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our newsletter on the website flavorsunknown.com. I have an exciting news to share with you now. During the pandemic, I wrote a book based on the common threads and insight I had gained into how culinary leaders think. My book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door, builds upon this podcast and focuses on key learnings from my discussions with 50 top culinary leaders combined with my experiences in the food industry. The book will be published on November 8th, but you can already pre-order it wherever you buy books online. Thank you in advance for your support. My guest today, Chef Will Fang, talks about his childhood memories from Hong Kong, his time in Japan working at a 300 years old Kaizaki restaurant in Kyoto, and the rich culinary diversity of Peru at the Jose Andres restaurant Chilcano in DC. (music) Hi, Chef. How are you?
0: Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Yourself? Uh,
1: you are, I'm very good as well. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And I'm really excited to have you on podcast Flavors Unknown. I would like to start first, you know, with your background and history. So you are originally from Hong Kong, correct? And you, you have been living, I mean, you lived there until you were like about, what, 10 years old?
0: Yeah, yeah. We I grew up in Hong Kong. My my parents, my brother and I, we moved to America in '91. Yeah, right around ten years old.
1: You still have like a, a smell that you that reminds you of uh, your childhood.
0: Yeah, the the most memorable smell is is probably the the daily routine. Both my parents were were working a lot, so you know, after school, I would get off of school around like four or five o'clock. My mom would give me a, a list of uh, grocery items to buy from the local market that day. So. You know, just the smells of of the the local market where you get your chicken, you know, produce, you get that fresh every day. We don't really have like big refrigerators. It's just you buy stuff for dinner that night and then you do it again the next day. So kind of the sights and smells of of what is kind of ingrained in me.
1: (laughs) And uh, do you have as well a smell of of, of, uh, like food of uh, anything like cooking at home?
0: At home, growing up, yeah, we we mostly cooked at home, so a lot of like steam steam fish. I think that's that's usually like you do a lot of steam fish, steam whole fish, and we put kind of like ginger, scallion on top of the fish, and we put like blistering hot oil on top. So that smell, that aroma of the the ginger and scallion over the hot oil is, is always a very iconic smell for me.
1: <laughs> and it was it's like a, kind of a nostalgia from that time that made you start like uh, the the hot pots, you know. Uh, Topics and the kits that you did, like during the the pandemic, is it related to your childhood and the time in in Hong Kong?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just because, like, you know, whenever we do hot pot, you can smell it through the whole house. You know, the whole apartment building, even. So, so it's just like the steaminess permeates throughout the whole room. So, so we definitely the nostalgia factor is there. Even when I was doing it last year, some of the stuff we were making out of small spaces. So we make, you know, gallons upon gallons of dashi as the the cooking broth as the base. So the whole place, the whole restaurant would just smell of like dashi and umami. <laughs> so that's remi- very rem- reminiscent of home.
1: Yeah. Is it something that you were doing with your family when, you know, like uh, having a hot pot?
0: Yeah, yeah. Not all the time, but especially during winter times, since it's a little cold. But, you know, every once in a while, you would go out to eat hot pot too. But we definitely did it at home. Bo- both going out and at home, we would do it every once in a while. You know, once every, every other month or so.
1: Okay, okay. So for the people that are listening, maybe uh, if they don't know what uh, hot pots are, can you explain?
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of Asian cultures have it. We have, you know, Chinese style, Cantonese style hot pot, you know, the Szechuan style hot pot, which is a lot more like spicier and and involves oil. There's shabu shabu in Japan, a very similar concept of a lot of raw and cooked over a broth, like a communal broth usually. And you have the broth kind of on a rolling boil so you can throw in like root vegetables or, you know, a lot more flexible in terms of timing most of the vegetables you can throw in there and just kind of forget about it and just kind of scoop out as you go along and then very thinly slice meats that we just, you know, just a blanch just for a few seconds, and then you're good to go. And then a variety of dipping sauces, uh, different cultures, do different things. We have sacha, which is a very typical hot pot sauce, so for Cantonese style, at least. But yeah, but usually we're also on a rolling boil of some sort of broth and then different vegetables and proteins.
1: So what kind of broth that you, um, you're having? I mean, I'm talking more about the like the restaurants and what you're offering, because you are saying like different cultures have different style of hot pots. And I'm guessing the broth is probably part of the different ingredients that varies from one culture to another.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's the, probably the biggest difference you, you, you see across like each region. You know, for us, like more Cantonese style, we don't do as much spicy. So it's usually kind of like a milder broth, uh, a lot of herbs. A herbal broth like dates and, and like cardamom and, and more herbaceous broths than spicier broths. Sichuan region you would definitely see a lot more like chili oils, yeah, much more spicier and flip profile. But for Cantonese style usually more about like savory and, and a lighter tasting broth and clearer. Like we like clearer broth.
1: But you ma- you mentioned dates? As well, you said dates.
0: Yeah, that's I think idea? that's one of the usually it's it's a big ingredient in the broth, Yeah, okay. <laughs> for the the herbal
1: ones. Yeah. Okay, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, those are dried dates and so at the, the fat soy you know hot pots that you, you have launched uh, what kind of broth
0: well, we were rotating a, a series like we would do I would do a, an herb one that's usually the most popular an herbal one like a more Szechuan style if you like spicy did a laksa one that's more like a Malaysian Singaporean flavor profile almost like a a lot of dry shrimp flavor into that and a little coconut and then we have one that rotated out which is some like different restaurants we did one like Chico that's like a local restaurant around here we did like an oxtail Broth with them, so one that we just kept kind of having fun with, and just you know different cultures, whatever we think would work, (laughs) (laughs) like Japanese style curry broth, or yeah, there's there's a few like that. I left room for like a a little collaborating with like local chefs and stuff for that.
1: Okay, and now this is you are completely out of it. Um,
0: Yeah, I just don't really have the time. time. (laughs) It was it was a one person operation, (laughs) and, and that was like you know during kind of more peak COVID time, So my friend at the time was gracious enough to let me use his kitchen while his restaurant wasn't fully operational. But now that his restaurant is operational, we had to move out of there, move all this stuff out of there. And then I got the opportunity to work with Jose and Think Food Group. So there's not enough time to do both.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that this is a great opportunity. So you want to focus, you can focus on that one for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> so is the but the Fat Choy concept something that could come back maybe as a pop-up sometime. Like yeah. Or, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, during the brief time that, that I did it, it was I still get calls about it almost like every day. <laughs> so so, you know, it's nice to see that that the short time that it was going that it got a good amount of traction. And we talked about doing some sort some sort of pop up or whatever incorporate certain elements and Chino Chocano, but I was kind of Uh, Only a few months into the job, I I was still like, like more focused on operational side and getting that aspect fully operational and fully reopened before we can earn kind of, uh, I always believe in like, you have to earn the right to do these kind of like more special out there things. So, you know, during this winter, we were trying to get everything on track first, we just didn't have time to like branch out and do other things. So maybe this coming year, we'll be able to do stuff like that.
1: (music) So China Chicano, so can you talk to us a little bit about the the concept? Obviously, you know, it's around the different influences from Peru and the history of immigration, you know, uh, from that country. But, you know, I let you I let you explain.
0: Yeah, so China Chicano, we um... We're a Peruvian restaurant, uh, part of the food group. So a lot of Peruvian cuisine has uh, obviously a lot of Spanish influence in terms of the food aspects, but also over the last few centuries, a lot of Chinese and Japanese immigration has happened over the last couple centuries. So in the Chinese side, it's the chifa cuisine. That's what it's called. It's been incorporated into Peruvian cuisine and also the Japanese side, it's the Nikkei cuisine. So, you know, it's all kind of melded together within Peruvian cuisine now. So, you know, we, we do our best to kind of, you know, highlight each of the influences through our menu as well.
1: Okay. And then the Spanish one, which is like more the, the Peruvian you know, one and so on, it's like all well, the native one, it's probably different from the Spanish influence, but it's called the Criollo, correct? The, yes. The yes, yes. So, you, yeah. you, so you will have the Criollo, the Chifa, and the Nikkei. Yes in, yes, in you know, at at the restaurants. Can you give us an example of each of them? If you start with like, you know, like criollo and then chifa and then Nike give an example of of a dish for that people that are listening that they can you know in, understand.
0: A good example of that is the ahí de gallina. That's that's a uh, I think I think you had that when you came in. That's like a very typical Peruvian chicken stew. It's a lot of the stew stews. Uh, There's a chicken stew with uh, some queso fresco, uh, olives, potatoes that comes from old Moorish traditions and then making stews that that would last a long time and then be a hearty meal for for people to eat so that would be the creole side chifa or aeropuerto that's that's that we get the name from uh, a lot of people are serving street side food on the way to the airport or coming out of the airport so so we named it an aeropuerto so that's basically our, our like our version of fried rice uh, wok fried with with seasonal vegetables but the concept itself comes from you know just a, a fried stir-fried fried rice. The Nikkei side that we do on our menu, um you know, we do a salmon teradito, we do like a sliced salmon with a uh, yuzu, a little olive oil, white soy, little, what else we little onions, sweet drop peppers, and such like that. So it's so like a quick cure ceviche, almost a little quicker cure than a traditional ceviche where you would soak, soak in seafood for hours at a time. Nikkei style would be a more of like a quick hit, like a like a couple minutes, and enjoy the more the rawness of the fish without it overcooking the best.
1: And is the fish like cut uh, different ways as well, like more sashimi style or like- Yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah,
0: yeah. For us, yeah, we cut it more in, in terms of, you know, cleaning and curing the fish uh, more towards the Japanese style of, of, yeah, thin slice, breaking it down to saku, which is kind of like the, the workable blocks and then slicing uh, fresh, fresh slice to order from that. <laughs>
1: Now let's talk about uh, the experience working with uh, with Jose Andres. So, how often do you interact with him?
0: It depends on uh, honestly right like now. It depends on like what's going on in the world. <laughs> that, that's that's true. Um, which is yeah, which is a weird. Well, w- like Central
1: Kitchen is yeah, taking kitchenist, yeah. uh, You know, a lot of his time, um, obviously.
0: Yeah, so so recently he's definitely spent way more time dedicating his time with World Central Kitchen just because that's, that's you know there's an obvious need there. So you know. We use technology to keep in touch instead of, like, like we rarely see each other in person these days. But at the same time, you know, he's always available via text or, you know, whatever messaging app he has internationally at the moment. So, yeah, you know, whenever I have questions, I can always just shoot him, shoot him a text at any time. And then depending on what time zone he's in, he'll, he'll sure. answer at 5 a.m. here or something like that. So, <laughs> so it fluctuates, honestly, but from what's going on in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But otherwise, you know, when it's outside of those, you know, unfortunate situation of crisis, that, do you guys have like a connection as well within like the the ThinkFood group of you know of Jose Andres? Yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. Do you he, connect he, on a regular basis. So,
0: yeah, I'm I'm personally still relatively new, and so you know, he, he probably, you know, he will set out different expectations out of the restaurant and out of myself as well. And then, you know, it's our job to, to kind of fulfill his, his vision and and what he wants to do. So, you know, we definitely don't take that lightly, but yeah, but he's obviously well in his rights to be demanding of, of what we do. and, And that keeps us, that keeps us going and keeps us kind of focused on what we need to do. And, and, you know, he'll break things down in a very simple way. Like, if you don't see an obvious answer out of it, he'll just come in. And like, "Why don't you just do this this way?" And you're like, "Oh, okay, thanks, chef." Like that's, <laughs> you know, he he sees things and, and uh, can break things down in in, in sometimes like a, a amazingly simple way that you're like, "Oh, I didn't see that before." So that's obviously an asset that, that I enjoy having.
1: This is you are like really like open in term of creations, you know, for the menu and what you are going to put on the menu with your team, or this is like a you know exchange with him, or uh, you have like freedom to you know to bring new things you know on the menu, and then you will taste them later when he has a chance to stop by. More
0: towards the latter, just because you know we are giving all, all the head chefs of each concept are given uh, a, a great deal of freedom because he he entrusts us at this point that that. We will do what we can to, to to respect the restaurant, the concept, and the food itself. So, I personally haven't seen something where I was like, "No, you can't put that on," or "You can't do this." Sometimes there'll be further questions like, "Why are we doing this?" and like, "What?" And then you know, as long as as, as you're doing it with the right like with the right compass in terms of where the, the cuisine is going, then you know, we have a good amount of freedom to do whatever we think is best for for our
1: guests. Okay. <music> So, how do you work with your team? You know, on 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 the menu. How often, first, I mean, do you change? You know, change the menu or update? We're always
0: tweaking. There's not like one whole like day where like, okay, we're going to swap like these things. You know, we're finding, especially these days, where we're one of the bigger challenges working at restaurants is is dealing with our vendors not having certain products and not having like certain things. We're like, oh, we'll be here in two months. It's in a shipping container over we'll here in two months. So what do we do? We have to kind of move on and do other things in terms of menu creation. So right now we have to be a little more flexible and make minor changes throughout you know, each month, basically. So there's not like one time when we're like, okay, we're going to throw like eight things on. Like this week, we actually have a little more time. If you want a little glimpse, like this week we're coming out of the Cherry Blossom uh, menu, which we did for the last month. It was Cherry Blossom season in DC. So we had a special uh, Japanese-focused menu for that. A few items that, that were just available around that time. Today's the last day of it. So this coming week, we'll be adding more menus items to the regular menu. So this week the team, the sous chefs and I will will work on items to put the regular rotation whether it comes from previous festivals or or new menu items all together this week is kind of the week that we're going to gear towards menu creation. So there's, there's not like a like a set deadline was like this month this need, needs to change or something like that. It's, it's go in terms of programming we go a few months ahead of time so there's Lunar New Year coming into Valentine's Day coming into Cherry Blossom those three were like back to back to back and then in between we had a truffle festival too so we did a lot of truffle then so the last few months has just been like one after the other. Immediately, this is kind of the first week where we haven't had any like special programming. So now we can work on the regular menu a little more. So yeah, all those things kind of bleed into each other. So you know, it, it's kind of like a flowing process instead of being like a deadline of eight menu items needs to be done by this time.
1: So
0: mm-hmm. so, if that answers. so
1: yeah, yeah, sure. So but uh, so no, thank you for uh, for sharing the. Let's take like for instance the the example of the cherry blossom menu. Yeah. So so obviously it's uh, Inspiration from Japan, but can you tell us a bit more about the sources of inspiration when you guys are working on the menus, such like the the cherry blossom one?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's always going to be, you know, I, I always like to incorporate all the chefs into the menu items itself as well. So for cherry blossom, for example, you know, we knew that we wanted Japanese theme, right? It's, it's an easy connection. A lot of people do like cherry flavored items for cherry blossom festival, but I don't, I don't, I never understood the reason for that because. It, the cherries don't come from cherry blossom trees. This just, just happens to be the name. So, so we just wanted to make like pure like as, as best of the Japanese goods food that we can. So a couple of items came from our executive sous chef Juan Riva is very talented young man. He wanted to do play on uh, a causa, which is a potato dish and make a beet causa because the we make a beet causa come out like a bright pink almost like a sakura color. So we did a form of causa for that with like spicy tuna a little wonton chips an aioli and a quail egg poached quail egg on that. So he you know, I was like, oh, cool, run with it. We'll see how it looks, how it plates, and then we'll fine tune it from there. So, so you know, he has the responsibility of, of doing that dish. And then we did a, a short rib kushiyaki, which is a skewer. So, like, like, was like okay, Juan, like, let's figure out how, what's the best way to do this. And, you know, we'll fine tune it as we go and, and see how it looks, see how it tastes. And then a couple dishes, another sous chef, Eamon, you know, I saw with doing the dessert. So, so, you know, we thought of an idea of doing a, a dorayaki. I love dorayakis. That's kind of like a Japanese-style pancake. So we did the dorayaki ice cream sandwich with a uh, hojicha ice cream. So a lot of people do matcha, so I like hojicha a little better. It's just matcha that's been matcha leaves that's been roasted. So a little malt, a little more bitter. I, I, you know, Asian people we don't like very sweet desserts. <laughs> so the best dessert compliment you can get from an Asian person is that it's, it's not too sweet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we we made that with uh and, and Jeff Amon did a uh, a rose water whipped cream to go on top of that. Um, okay, so it's cool. a very collaborative effort, and I wanted to do a, a, I love Yoshinoya, like I love the like you know the, like fast food in Japan is different. Yoshinoya is one of the the bigger beef bowl companies, fast food beef bowls. So I wanted to do a, a beef bowl similar to to uh, Yoshinoya. So we did that with a sixty three degree egg onsen egg, like shaved ribeye, dashi. So we make dashi all the time now. So the restaurant smells like dashi. It was great. So yeah, just so different things that that you know. Once we knew it was like, okay, let's go Japanese and then, like, which iconic sure. Japanese just we want to do. We did, we also did a, a Japanese fried chicken. We did a Tori no karage. So, mm-hmm. with, like, a very simple That's like, nice. yeah. salad. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Chef Kenny, he did the potato salad and the chicken. Mm-hmm. So, so it all kind of came together exactly. during the festival. So, so it's nice to see to, to keep everyone engaged.
1: How long does uh, it take to uh, put the menu to Probably. Probably a couple of weeks. One week to kind of like uh-huh. figure out
0: exactly what Fast. I want to do, and one week, one week to like, like, kind of like taste it and plate it. And during, you know, I, I would say like because this program ran, ran for four weeks. The first week. To the last week, we really like, you know, there there were subtle changes that, that the guests might not see, but but in terms of operations, you know, tasting wise, I think it tasted very similar from the first week to last week, but just how we set up the line and how we prep each day for for the different items. Because the first week you don't really know how much each thing they're gonna sell. You have an idea, but you don't know which, how much you're gonna sell, so you don't know how to how to prep. So second, third week, you know, you adjust and fine-tune how you prep things and and the last week you're like kind of Okay, cool. This is cruise control now. <laughs> so it takes a few. Weeks. Some programs are only two weeks, and you're like you never catch like the footing. And and I mean you still do well, but but I think like this this was a longer one that we were able to fine-tune a
1: lot. And is it on top of your regular menu or is it yes. yeah. instead oh it's on top yeah. of it. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's a lot of items to, you know, to prep for the day for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, it, it definitely like keeps us definitely keeps us engaged. So that's okay. Cool. And that, okay. that kind of like four week Flow is is very reminiscent when I was working in Japan and kaiseki restaurants because the menu changes every month. The whole menu changes every month, so that was the rhythm. First week you're executing, second and third week you are fine tuning, then fourth week you're kind of settling in and and also trying to think of what's the next month ahead. So that's kind of the rhythm of kaiseki restaurants too. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you you work in uh, like you year in uh, it was in Kyoto, correct? That you you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Can you talk to us about that experience because it's so? First of all, maybe people that are listening that they don't know what kaiseki, you know, style is. So what it is, and then I have some other question for you on this after.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> I feel free. Yeah, kaiseki is a form of Japanese fine dining where all kind of sensory experiences are are blended into one dining experience so so the food itself the menu changes every month for most restaurants using whatever ingredient and the theme is for that month for in in the japanese calendar and then also just the food changes every month all the plateware changes every month to and according to the season all the artwork within each room changes within the season you know each room has the restaurant i was in you know even if you go there but with you know, by yourself or ten people or four people, it doesn't matter. You get in your own room, basically. So each room is decorated differently. Each room is decorated with kind of like poems of uh, that corresponds to the month itself, and also artwork that corresponds to the month. And then you know, you have a very serene setting. You know, the restaurant I was at, every room overlooked this like gorgeous bamboo garden. That's Taken care of by the restaurant as well, but like water features and stuff. So it's very serene environment. So it all kind of incorporates into like a kaiseki meal.
1: So you're talking about the calendar and the season. So I'm guessing obviously there's the four seasons, but I'm guessing there's more themes than that, correct? In the kaisaki? Yes, yes. How many uh, how many yeah. themes there is there? Every month is a different theme. Yeah, also um, it's twelve. 12. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so it's twelve it's twelve sets yeah and 12 menus and so on so are they are they rotating so i'm guessing like the the decor and the rooms they are coming back every every year, correct? Yes, well, yes year. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so they can keep like all the setup yes. and, and store <laughs> it, and it's a lot. Yeah. It's a whole logistics. I mean, I, I didn't know, I didn't know to that level of detail. That's really interesting and fascinating. So, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, what was the name of the restaurant?
0: I, w- I was mostly at uh, Takeshigero. Takeshigero is in Kyoto. Um, is part of a bigger corporation. Takeshigero being the. Minokichi. Minokichi is the parent company. Minokichi has a lot of different restaurants in the whole country, a lot of department stores as well, inside department stores. Minokichi is Honten, which is their main, their flagship store is Takeshigoro. Takeshigoro being their, their okay. uh, format.
1: Basically. And I'm guessing they they are able to do this because there's a, a, a big company, a bigger company behind it, because I'm guessing there's a lot of people, there's a lot of logistics, so probably a lot of resources and, and budget as well, correct? So yeah, yeah, definitely,
0: they are able to, yeah, a kind of afford this kind of project. I mean, we had, you know, the decorations because it's every month. There's like a huge warehouse that that stores all this, all the plateware. There's, there's a full-time employee that that is only in charge of like the plateware of cataloging it bringing the right ones down each month like like storing the old ones and keeping and preserving it for the next month so that's a full-time job itself not not washing dishes not drying dishes just organizing the dishes so uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a huge operation then you have you know you have multiple landscaping people to attend to the bamboo garden to take care of like the, the floral arrangements each day so like floral arrangements I also had to learn, you know, some uh, at the restaurant, I also got training in floral arrangements because, you know, it's part of the aesthetics, like, like as part of plating food, I never knew, uh, you know, I never even think of like floral arrangements being, you know, very tied to food, but it was because, you know, you, you're looking at a lot of like how to fill negative space or when to fill negative space and, and when to incorporate different colors or different like textures into it. So, so doing that for just a couple of weeks like exposed me. like i, I saw things that, I, I wouldn't see on a plate before and i was like oh that makes sense so a lot of similarity in the floral
1: is it something that you can bring back into some of your current experience uh, how does it translate is there's anything that you can you know leverage from that experience into uh china chilcano for instance
0: yeah in terms of plating definitely because it's it's not what you're plating is is. You know, is these are just concepts of of you know different shapes, what shapes to use, and and what shapes contrast well with others aesthetically. So yeah, those things you can definitely like take it anywhere you go. I can I can be at home cooking and still do you know apply similar principles. Basically, the principles you can take anywhere. It doesn't matter what kind of cuisine or, or what you're doing. It's more about like the aesthetics than anything else. You know, in terms of cooking, you know, kaiseki cuisine, the t- cooking techniques are are very old and traditional for the most part. I think. You know, most of them, it's the same elements of simmering, steaming, grill, fry, raw. Those are kind of like, like your courses are kind of based upon each cooking principle. So the techniques and, and equipment used are, are very traditional as well. So there's nothing, you know, too wild in terms of cooking technique. And it's not supposed to be, except for certain, like, I think Gion Sasaki is one of the more famous, kind of like more adventurous in terms of using like more modern cooking techniques and style. But Sasaki-san is a very singular talent, like like he, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's, he's brilliant in that way that, that he can still do that and still bring it into the Kaiseki world. But for the most part, most of the Kaiseki restaurants I was at, it's more about doing things, traditional things perfectly and not about like, like you know, doing the most like outrageous thing.
1: Sure. It is like you have an amazing food experience that you could share with us from that year in in Kyoto.
0: It's hard to pinpoint like certain ones. I think one that I, I like to see here in America, a lot of like counter style cooking. Like we see a lot of like sushi omakase. Uh-huh. Like, in terms of omakase, people just think it's like oh, just a lot of sushi in America. But but doing like a like, like that same setting of counter sitting in a counter like couple style and doing like tempura is is really really cool. I think it's it's amazing. Like I want to see that. You know, you're just sitting in front of. You know, a tempura chef and they have this big pot of oil and just frying things fresh and putting it in front of you and having the, that like fresh put fresh, in front yeah. of you. Very similar to having sushi just like put it right in front of you and eating it right away at like the perfect temp- temperature but just to see like, like, you know, even the same restaurant, taking that food out to the table that, you know, 30 seconds or, or a minute that it takes from being on a plate to hitting your table. There's a subtle difference there that, that you know, I would like to see more counter-style tempura places here where you just eat things mm. like an omakase style.
1: Okay, very cool. Do you have a favorite piece of equipment in the kitchen to work with?
0: No. I mean, the walk. Walk you can't really replicate at home. So true. I, I like. <laughs> you know, I don't.
1: I don't want to put my house on fire. So yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you,
0: you could probably take off some regulators in your sure. home range system to, to pump out a little more heat. Yeah, um, but it's but, definitely not recommended.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because you need but, to have you need to have that power of the heat correct on the walk to really yeah. cook it with it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So you need about the walk pumps around hundred over a hundred thousand BTUs. heat so the wok is definitely something that i enjoy using in the kitchen in terms of other cooking equipment we have rationale ovens that that you know we can do most things in now you know you can control certain type of temperatures we do a lot of chinese barbecue in that so so chinese barbecue roaster is usually like a vertical roaster you hang the meats up there's a water pan that creates steam so this little little bit of steam element in terms of heating style but with rationale you can kind of control exactly how much humidity you have while you're roasting so so you know you can fine-tune it to a way where you get almost like an american-style bark on a piece of char siu while still maintaining the moisture level and it still kind of tastes like a a traditional char siu so you kind of get the best of both worlds by using modern technology
1: So I would like to pick your brain. Every time I have like a a guest on the show, I'm asking them for a suggestion how a home cook can do and prepare a specific, you know, recipe. So, you know, preparing this conversation with you, I thought that maybe uh, you could share uh, your thoughts on doing fried rice, Will style. So what what would you suggest Uh us to make?
0: Well, first, you know, definitely start with uh, like at least a day-old rice. Never use fresh rice. It's just the the, you want it to be a little dried out. And basically you want to create like you want to take some moisture away from from freshly cooked rice. Freshly cooked rice won't really char up that nice. So day-old rice is leaving the fridge. You can leave uncovered to to even soak out more moisture. So and then, you know, once you take it out of the fridge, kind of crumble it up so it's not sticking together. It should be like a little bit hard, a little bit al dente, because when we hit it in the wok and the oil, it's going to kind of reincorporate some moisture back in, you know, Hot walk. Uh, very, very hot walk. Start off with a little, you know, always ginger. Garlic is usually like minced ginger and minced garlic. Heat that up. Brown that a little bit. And then if you want to do egg, you can cook eggs separately. You know, you, however you want to do it. You want to do an omelet style. You want to kind of just pour a uh, scrambled egg in there and kind of mix it up. Just chop it up and then strain it and put it aside. Then... Throw in the rice, whatever protein you like. You know, if you're using raw proteins, then put that in first. Cook that kind of halfway and then incorporate the rice.
1: That you are using, usually. Yeah.
0: Chinese sausage, lap chung, is usually really good. You, you get have a little bit of fat content in there. You know, a lot of flavor in that. You know, you want to do seafood. You know, shrimp always works well. Those two, sh- yeah, shrimp and Chinese sausage is definitely a, a very classic combination. You know, vegetables, vegetables for our work, we use a lot of like seasonal vegetables, but you know, whatever you have on hand, just chop it up to, to kind of bite size, everything bite size, basically. You don't want anything, you don't want to have to cut, you should be able to use it with just a spoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everything should be bite sized, you know, and just start incorporating like Shaoxing wine, little sugar, a little salt, white pepper, white pepper. I definitely love just like a slight pinch of white pepper, mm-hmm, kind of brightens mm-hmm. everything up a lot. I definitely use a lot of white pepper in, in our fried rice. So those kind of like the main ingredients and just kind of toss everything together. You know, amount of salt is, is entirely up to you, but egg, white pepper... Shaoxing wine; those are kind of like the the the, the big thing, and day-old rice.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. No other sauces or in there.
0: It's up to you. Some people like like we like a dash of like finishing off with a dash of, like sesame oil. Uh, that's a personal preference. But I just like Shaoxing wine, a little soy sauce, salt, sugar. Yeah, just keep okay. it simple and white and uh, white pepper.
1: Okay, very good. Okay, thank you, uh, chef, for for your time. I'm I'm going to switch now with. The rapid fire question. So, so you have been in Washington, D.C. for a long time, but so you and I are going on the testing tour in Washington, D.C. So what are like the five spots that you are going to take me to?
0: Five spots, five spots. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, when people come to visit, I usually take them to, let's see, for... You know, we usually do a lot of, like, touristy things, like walk around, like, the mall. Old Epic Grill, right, right near the White House, that's always a classic. I mean, they they, they are a D.C. institution, and, and you know, it's, it's always lively crowd. You know, the service is always, you know, friendly and fun. I like going there whenever there's other people visiting from out of town. We go to, I live very close to the Pretzel Bakery. That's a really, really, really good bakery that, that specializes in, in, in pretzels. Like, Sean, Sean's been there for many, many years, and, and you know, he's... Also, it's great. It's fun to see him over the years kind of expanding the business from, you know, a, a tiny window to now he has this multiple locations. So, so to see that growth is, is awesome to see. What else? Five spots. Yeah, definitely a spot. I've been going to Menya Hosaki. That's been really, really good for ramen. That, that's some of the most standout ramen I've had anywhere in, in the world, actually. <laughs> that's okay. really, really good. So, what? That's three. If we are. Inevitably going out late at night and having a few drinks. The after-hour spot is always New Big Wong. There's always a classic uh, Chinese uh, spot in the basement in Chinatown. One of the few places still open in Chinatown, D.C. Chinatown. Where else? Where else? I mean, if we do one Jose place, <laughs> <plays>. <laughs> I always have fun at, at, at Bar Mini. You know, yeah, yeah. Sure. Mini Bar is very different, yeah. like more for special occasions, but you can pop in Bar Mini and have a... a, a Great snacks and, and drinks. That's one of the places that, you know, working in the restaurant industry for so long, it's it's it gets kind of like harder and harder to be like wow by certain certain things and be like oh my god, like how did you do that? Any and, and I've, I've been been back at Barmini, whether or not I was working at Think Food Group, I, there are still those wow moments where we're like wow, how did you guys do that? Um, so. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, I, so I have
1: I have been I haven't been in Barmini, so I have to try.
0: No, okay. Try next yeah. time,
1: next time I'm down there. Thank you. So, what's your favorite guilty pleasure food?
0: Guilty pleasure food? Oh, oh, Costco Jamaican beef patties. <laughs> you just stick it in the oven for like thirty minutes until it gets like dry, <laughs> that that weird dry, flaky texture, and that frozen ground beef.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, now what are like the three cookbooks that inspired you the most in your career? Cookbooks?
0: Let's see. I just pick them up. I think oh, during the pandemic, the, the book that I cooked out of the most is The Family Meal. Let's me see yeah there it is oh yeah, yeah yeah with uh family meal is is fran adria's cookbook but that's mm-hmm. more based on like not what they were doing in the restaurants but what they would do in family meals which i think you know like family meals is, is, is super important in, in any restaurant i've worked in so that's not to be taken lightly so a lot of more like practical cooking recipes to make for large amounts of people in short amounts of time so <laughs> family meals great i have a, a, a book on dashi Actually, oh! Oh wow! like a whole entire book on dashi. What is, what is the <laughs> name of it? I think it's called dashi. <laughs> I, okay. There's okay. a few authors. I can send you the information on it. It's, it's really, really interesting. And then a third. Oh, I've, I've been reading. I, not particularly the recipes, just the the I, butter butter graffiti by Ed. Oh,
1: Lee sure, first. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, it's he's, a great. It's a great. Always book.
0: around. Um, Absolutely. but that's always a fun one. Just, just because it's just read the experiences and stuff. It's super talented and super Absolutely. nice. Guys
1: here, so. What's your biggest biggest pet peeve in the kitchen?
0: Pet peeve? We use a lot of quart containers and a lot of blue tape. When the blue tape gets does not get peeled off from the quart containers when someone's done with it.
1: <laughs> you you will not believe how many times I have heard that from Really?
0: <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> You're
1: not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. That's really and pastry chefs or mixologists as well, because everyone sure. Everyone, you know, use those deli containers So yeah. those plastic one with the just, root just tape. Just peel it off.
0: Just peel it <laughs> off. Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Beside like the classics, what condiments, spices, or sauces, dressings do you like to have on hand at home?
0: At home? Oh, we, uh, that's that's an easy one. We always keep XO sauce at home. All, I, yeah, we always make a big batch and it lasts for a good amount of time. Uh, you steep them in oil. So yeah, there's there's always that in the house. It goes well with anything: eggs, fried rice, whatever you can throw it on. So it.
1: can can I ask you how you make your extra sauce?
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. So always dried shrimp, dried scallop, and then we used to use, but right now is currently illegal to import uh, ham from China due to like trade tariff regulations or something. So I hope Jose doesn't listen to this, but. Now we substituted that with the second best ham in, in the world, is jamón ibérico. <laughs> <y> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs>
0: so I, I usually take go to Haleo and take some of the ibérico trims and and kind of chop that up. So all those are kind of uh, the key things to steam, especially a scallop. Uh, steam them in Shaoxing wine for multiple days. So you, you steam it. It's almost like a, a, a bourbon barrel. It contracts, it expands. If you think of a scallop, dry sure, scallop sure, in that sure. way. It's going to contract and expand the Shaoxing wine. And each time you do it, it's going to soak in more flavor and and get a little more tender. So by like the third or fourth day, it becomes super, super tender. Then it's ready to go. Then you cook everything together with some rock sugar, shallots, chilies if you like it's spicy, more Shaoxing wine. And then a a splash of Coca-Cola sometimes too, just to keep it fun.
1: Really? All right. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs)
0: Almost like a lot of barbecue sauces incorporate Coca-Cola. You know, it's got a lot of elements like a lot of sweetness and sure,
1: sure. And spices and and you know, vanilla and citrus. Yeah, 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 yeah. cool. Okay, that's it. How long does it take you to make the the sauce? Usually
0: the 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 steaming and cooling down scallop is usually like three days or so. But it's mostly inactive, you know, you're not just like it's not going in a pot all day. You're just steaming it, letting it rest, and then putting it in a fridge and cooling it down and doing the same process for multiple days at a time. So the whole process takes around like three, four days.
1: I understand why you're doing in batches, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Chef, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having you uh, on the show.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you again soon. Let me know when yes. you get in
1: town. Absolutely, okay. I will. Okay. Thank you for listening today. I enjoyed my tasting with Chef Will Fong at Chilna Chilcano in D.C. with Criolo Chifa and Nikkei Cuisines. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague. As I always welcome new listeners to the show. You can pre-order wherever you buy book online. My upcoming book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door, based on 50 of my conversations on this podcast with American acclaimed chef pastry chefs and bartenders. Next week, my guest will be Chef Byron Gomez, Transitioning out from 7908 Ispen and contestant of Top Chef Season 18. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.